Jay Kaufman is a professor of epidemiology, biostatistics, and occupational health over at McGill University, also an editor of Journal Epidemiology. The word I still can't say, Professor, but I'm learning it by the day. Thanks for uh, joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Let's just talk a little bit about the big theme of the day, which is, uh, you know, releasing the restrictions, because it's such a prevalent thing in everybody's minds is we're just desperate to get some of that freedom. And you wrote an interesting article in the National Post talking about the fact that you believe we should be able to let uh, some of our elementary school kids back in or maybe have them move forward. And, and I read today that Quebec, which is still in the height of the epidemic, they're going they're letting their kids go back to school May 11th. And we're not talking about that here. Yeah, I, as I understand, the press conference just uh, finished, but I, as I understand, uh, they'll go back to school on May 11th uh, outside of Montreal and then a week later in Montreal. Um, I, I think uh, we're certainly supportive of the, the efforts to try to reduce transmission of the virus. We're not, we're not arguing that those efforts should, should be re relaxed uh, without a lot of consideration, but um, we did argue that the evidence that we have so far seems to indicate that children are not transmitting the virus themselves. And so sending the youngest ch children back to school may be um, a better risk management strategy. Uh, th there are certainly costs to keeping them in the house and uh, we, we wanna balance those costs against the benefits for society. And so we think that uh, it might be reasonable to, to consider ways to send those youngest children back uh, without really increasing the risk of transmission. Yeah, I would think the cost is mostly to the parents' sanity uh, as they try to, to do their job and be the educator and try to find some kind of semblance of normalcy. Um, I think with the younger children, and I can only speak through my experience with a seven-year-old, um, I think there's a real detriment to not having any kind of structure, socialization, any kind of visits, because he's only seeing his teacher twice a week for a few minutes, they wave at each other, and then it's the rest is up to us. Long-term, though, I think, you know, is there a, a, a downfall or something a, a price will pay for the younger kids not being in school? Oh, I, I think the social consequences are huge. I mean, you, you have uh, increases in violence in the home. You have uh, children being physically inactive. Uh, it's it's uh, a detriment to their nutrition. We have in Quebec here, we have a quarter of a million students who re rely on, on breakfast at school that are not getting that. Uh, so there, there are a, a huge number of social consequences associated with them not being in school, in, in addition to the fact that parents then can't work outside the home. We have many nurses and doctors and, and other professionals who provide essential services who have very uh, difficult times continuing to work because of this. Uh, uh, there are some uh, allowances that we make here in Quebec for essential workers to provide some care for them, but uh, it's, it, it's a, a big economic burden on, on parents to not, to not be able to work. Um, and of course, there's also the, the lack of instructional content. You know, they don't actually get to, to learn uh, the things that they should be learning in school. Uh, so there are huge costs associated with, with keeping kids at home like that. Uh, and the benefit that we think we're getting is reducing transmission. And uh, it looks from the epidemiology like we're not really getting much of a benefit from that, that at least for preschools and elementary schools, that uh, closing these things is, is not really making much uh, progress in terms of reducing transmission. Now we say okay. that. Yeah, oh, go ahead. We, we say that because uh, it looks like children are not transmitting the virus themselves. Um, but of course, when we open schools, we do have more contact between adults. There are still teachers interacting with other teachers, there are teachers interacting with parents, there are staff in the schools. 
So those are places where we still need to think of ways, creative ways to maintain social distancing because it is still very possible for uh, parents and teachers who uh, go to the school uh, physically to interact with each other and, and that creates a, a risk. So we do need to manage that very carefully. And I don't want to underestimate the importance of, of managing that. But I think there's a big fear that children will become infected at the school and will take that infection back to the household. And it looks like that's not going to happen. Uh, that does happen in other diseases. It does happen for influenza. And we have a lot of evidence that closing schools during influenza outbreaks can reduce transmission. But what we lack for, for this virus, for SARS-CoV-2, is any evidence that, that that kind of transmission occurs, that children get infected in school and then bring that back to the household. We, we don't observe that so far. All right. I mean, to me, the common sense solution is to stagger. You know, uh, you do mornings for the elementary kids or every other day for the elementary kids and you stagger it from the older kids to the younger kids. There's got to be some way that we can let them get back into some kind of framework of structure that can be, in fact, you know, cleaned at the end of the day with bleach and whatever else. Yeah, the, there'll have to be better hygiene at the schools, more hand washing, all the usual kinds of, of hygiene uh, increases that, that we recommend for society as a whole. It, it's hard to get small children to socially space, to not interact with each other, to not mm -hmm. touch each other. Um, and the, there is then the possibility that children will become infected, but we have the experience that infections in children tend to be very, very modest, that most children are not even aware that they're infected. They don't have any symptoms at all. If they have symptoms, they're very mild. So we think that there's no significant danger for most children. Now, we do have to also take special precautions for children that might be at risk because they have uh, some existing illness, some immune deficiency. Uh, there, there are maybe special categories of children that we need to protect a little bit more carefully. Um, but there are also special categories of children that are especially damaged by staying in the home. You know, kids with special needs, kids uh, who uh, require some professional intervention from the schools, these kids are, are missing those services when they're at home. Mm -hmm. And so we also have to think about the needs of the special needs of those kids as well. Right. And, and nonetheless, I mean, if we don't come up with some kind of plan and this thing's around for a whole long time until we get a vaccine or maybe never get a vaccine, uh, if we don't come up with a plan, uh, it looks like you, myself, and a bunch of other parents are going to be teaching their children for the rest of their lives. Because that is the cost. I mean, that is the choice. Either they figure out a plan to deal with it, get the kids back in somehow, or this is the new reality. Yeah, I, I've learned from my experience with small children that it's it's a profession that involves special skills and, and patience <laughs> and uh, uh, that I don't have those skills and patience. And so uh, <laughs> the, it's definitely an argument for letting professionals do their job. And we have professional educators in institutions that are very skilled at providing the education and the management of children. And to keep children away from that is a huge social cost that, that we can't bear forever. Uh, I think you know, th there, was a, there was a pandemic and there was an emergency and people took emergency actions and that's all appropriate. Like we, we, we did the right thing by being very cautious at first and taking these emergency actions. But now it's time to think carefully about which of those are really helping us and which of those are mm -hmm. a cost that we don't want to bear anymore and to start relaxing those emergency measures in places where we can do so and not put people at undue risk. And especially for our youngest children, for kids in preschool, for kids in elementary school, 
it looks epidemiologically like we're not going to put them at higher risk and we're going to be able to benefit them by getting them back into an institutional setting where they really get a lot of benefit. And just before I let you go, Professor, I mean, the provinces are now starting to roll out their framework as to how they're going to ease back into a norm. You know, New Brunswick has opened its parks. They're going to open up things like golf courses, um, oral surgery, uh, you know, elective surgeries, as well as dentistries. Same with Saskatchewan. Ontario is a little bit more ambiguous in the sense that they haven't really figured out which industries themselves can open. They're just going to take a wait-and-see approach, hoping the numbers continue to come down. But, you know, I think most people would say there's got to be some happy uh, medium that we can build, you know, whether it's opening the landscaping so that people can sit in their gardens and do that or have parks open so that maybe people can actually get some exercise without uh, being ticketed. What's in, in your mind as the expert you are, what is the, the happy medium that provinces like Ontario that do have cases should, should at least be able to give back to the citizens? Uh, I mean, that's a very broad question about a lot of different sectors of society. So I'm not sure I'm prepared to really comment uh, on every single situation. But of course, until we have some kind of uh, effective vaccine or, or other kind of more permanent solution, uh, we do need to prevent transmission of illness. And that is mostly accomplished by hygiene and, and social distancing. And so the real challenge are, are situations in which it's impossible to distance. You know, a school is a real challenge um, because it's hard to keep children at a distance. It's hard to maintain a classroom in which there's distance between people. Uh, of course, airplanes and other public transportation is a, is a real challenge as well. And so I think we, we need really uh, a, a lot more evidence about the role of things like masks to see how much transmission that can prevent in situations like public transport, where it's really impossible to space people. But in general, I think we can resume a lot of these activities to the extent that we can maintain good social spacing and, and very good hygiene. We should have uh, widely available hand sanitizer and, and places where people can wash their hands. Uh, I, I think it's probably likely that we'll be wearing masks. Uh, I think the, the evidence is still a little bit ambiguous about the role of masks, but um, it looks to me like there's enough evidence now that it's likely that in a lot of situations like public transport, we're going to be wearing masks. Um, school is a challenge, as I say, because it's hard to have classrooms where you really space people out. Um, but I think for the youngest children where transmission is, is very limited, we're not as concerned about that. How are we going to get older students back to school? Uh, that is a, a challenge, and I, I don't have a, a perfect solution for that. It may involve something like what you talked about, where we split the days so that we have half the students in the classroom at a particular time and we get to space them out more. Um, certainly older kids can understand social distancing a little bit better than younger kids. So it, it requires a lot of creative solutions like that. But until we have vaccination and other sort of permanent medical interventions that are going to uh, reduce transmission, we're going to have to rely on preventing the virus from moving from one person to another person. Professor, I so very much appreciate your time because I know you're very busy. I'll tell you what makes me feel better is knowing that you're getting driven as much uh, crazy by your kids as I am because then at, at least <laughs> I feel that we're equal in that part. But I appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much.